right. Well, tonight brings us to, of course, chapter 18 of Proverbs. Now, if you have been going along with us through the Proverbs, then by this time, you are overflowing with the very wisdom of God. Now, if you are like me at all, though, there have, along the way, been some Proverbs that click right away and make sense. But then there are some other Proverbs that, uh, that are a little more difficult in their understanding. And so it's for this reason I've been encouraging and telling you guys as we've gone through this Proverbs challenge, which is uh, the chapter of the day that corresponds with the day of the week. So today is Wednesday the 18th, and of course we're in Proverbs chapter 18. Now I've been encouraging you guys to do your best because there's going to be some of these Proverbs that are difficult to understand and others that click a little bit quicker. And if you are taking a 15, say, minute slot of your day, maybe in the morning or maybe after school or maybe before you go to bed, of that interrupted time with the Lord, then it'll be more fruitful for you to focus on the Proverbs that are making sense, to take those that stood out, that made sense, and to really meditate and soak up what it means and then how it applies to your personal life. I think this is true in general, that all of us should have that time of devotion or whatever you want to call it, quiet time with the Lord. During that time, it's not necessarily a a deep study. It's to allow God's word to speak to you, to allow him to search your heart, cleanse your heart, and send you forth from the day. However, there are those occasions that you may have a little more time. Uh, for example, this Christmas break, you may have had a little bit more time, or on the weekends, you might have a little bit more time. And there are those times to dig deep and to be students of God's Word. There are those occasions that you can focus more on those Proverbs or passages that maybe uh, didn't make as much sense, and you have to dig a little bit deeper. And listen, when it comes to studying the Bible, there are some verses that in order to find the richness of the verse— you got to dig a little. Uh, But when you begin to dig into God's word, it is rewarding. It's kind of like precious stone or rock. Typically, the good stuff is deep in the ground, and you have to work for it, and oftentimes it's worth the work. Like diamonds, you're probably not going to walk by a dirt patch and be like, oh my gosh, there's diamonds. Uh, That's something you got to dig deep, really deep for. That's why they're as expensive as they are, because they are hard to get. And there are some passages that are like treasure, but you got to dig a little bit. They're not going to just be on the surface. God says, I want you to seek me with your whole heart, which takes some effort. Psalm 119, verse 162, 119, 162 says, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. I believe that there is treasure to be found in the word of God, but sometimes it takes a little bit of work. That's why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the work, uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, I want you to note this verse down. This is just our introduction for today before we pray and dive in. But we are to be diligent as 
followers of Christ, to present ourselves approved to God. That means to make every effort, to show interest in and to be eager towards, to be a worker. And guess what? A worker is someone who works. And for us to be unashamed in that, notice that term at the end, rightly dividing the word of truth. Everyone say rightly dividing. That is the term that Paul gives to Timothy when handling the very word of God. He says, hey, rightly divide it. It means to handle it carefully and correctly. Translated literally, it means to cut in a straight line. To handle this with caution, with care, and with intentionality because it is the word of truth. But that takes a little bit of work to do. You know, like how a bomb expert, if they were to come and defuse a bomb, they wouldn't carelessly walk in with scissors and just cut any wire. No, what would they do? They would seek to rightly divide the bomb. They would seek to handle it with care and correctly as if their life depended on it because it does. And when you and I approach God's word, it shouldn't just be like, oh, well, this verse means this to me. It don't mean nothing to you before it means what God intended it to. Now, if this was something that we were interested in, we would give our effort to it, right? The things that you love is the things that you spend your time on. It's the things that you think about. But sometimes, even with things that you aren't interested in, I have found that when you put a little bit of effort in, your perspective is apt to change over time. I know this because this happened with me. Growing up, I've shared with you guys before, school was not my thing. Uh, when I was in junior high, I really didn't like school. I didn't do well in school. Uh, my parents had a hard time. I didn't like learning. Even more than learning, though, I couldn't stand to read. I hated reading with all of my heart. I would rather stare at a wall for 30 minutes doing absolutely nothing than read. And some of you guys I know are like that. Now, now listen, but when I got into high school and got serious about my walk with Jesus, I knew that if I was going to be close with Jesus, I had to read the message, the book, the Bible that he gave me. If I refused to read it, then I would refuse a relationship with him. And that's the reality. And so even though I didn't want to learn, uh, I didn't like reading. I loved Jesus. And so I began to put what I liked on the back burner and began to study the word of God. And what I realized fairly quickly, and within that year of being dedicated to God's word, I realized I actually loved to learn. I loved to learn about God. I actually loved to read. I just didn't realize it. I always read things I didn't care about. But this was something I loved and the more I read and the more I studied, the more I wanted to read and the more I wanted to study. But not, listen, it wasn't because I fell in love with the concept of reading. Oh, I just love words. No, it was because of what studying and reading this book did in my life was changing. It's because of what it pointed me to, which was to the Lord. Have you ever heard that phrase that Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I have found that when you choose what is most valuable to you, your heart will follow along. Sometimes we go based upon what our heart wants and our hearts are sinful. 
But when we do what we know is what God has told us to do, and we choose what's going to be valuable in our life, then our heart is apt to follow. So with that, we're going to look at a handful of these Proverbs that might prove to be more difficult to understand. And today, before we get into chapter 18, uh, a couple things I want to share with you. I want to introduce you guys to a helpful Bible study tool that you might be able to dig deep and rightly divide the word of God, okay? So let's pray and we'll get into it. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father God, we, we come before you this day and thank you for your word. And God, we ask, I, I pray for every student in here. God, I pray that what would become their treasure in their life is you and your word. And God, that as they put some work, just a little bit of work, a little bit of effort, a little bit of time, a little bit of interest, God, that their heart would quickly follow what they are placing as valuable. And Lord, there's no greater value in our life than you. And so God, we pray that you would go before us in our time tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, so I want to share with you guys. Now, I don't know all of you guys' level or access to the internet. Uh, So I want to share with you guys, though, a website that I know all of your parents would approve of uh, to some extent. Uh, And it's also an app, whether that's you having to do it with them, I don't know. Nonetheless, I'm going to show you a tool that is accessible for free on the website, uh, on the website, on the internet. It is a website, okay? So you guys, can you guys see the screen? Yeah, it's good? All right. So the website is called Blue Letter Bible. You guys ever heard of it? Okay, so this is really simple. Uh, It can feel complicated and overwhelming, but it's rather simple. And I'm going to walk you through some examples. Okay, so see Blue Letter Bible come up, Bible search and study tools. You guys see it? Okay, so you click on that and boom, Blue Letter Bible. This is a fantastic tool for free that enables you to dig deep into God's word. So let's say, for example, you guys today had uh, an extra maybe a handful of minutes before you had to go to school. Let's say maybe you had a late start or your parents let you get off early. You had a long lunch and you're like, man, you know, I read a certain verse in Proverbs 18 this morning, but it just made zero sense to me. I had no idea what it was saying. Well, let's dig a little deeper. So for example, uh, when I was reading today, there was one that came up and it was Proverbs 18. That's where you should all be turned, by the way, Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, and it was verse eight. That was one that kind of stuck out to me of like, I don't know exactly what's going on here. So I, I did a little bit of study. And this is just an example for you to walk through, okay? So if you're taking notes, you might just want to write down blueletterbible.com. That will make sure you don't, re- you don't forget that uh, website, okay? So when you get there, you type it up. You guys all watching? You guys see it? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 8, which says, I'll read it to you and you can look in your Bibles, the words of a talebearer, and that's what I was like, what the heck is a talebearer? Are like tasty trifles. Also, what's a tasty trifle? And they go down into the inmost body. And so I know this is God's word. So it's true. It's wisdom from God. So, and God has given me a brain. However, he's also given me some tools to be able to kind of dig deeper. So I would then go over here to go and uh, boom. Okay. So what we find here is all the verses of Proverbs set together. 
Do you see it? Now, for whatever reason, I don't know if it has something to do with some copyright stuff, but they use the King James Version. But you can still find the words that you're looking for, okay? So, do you guys see verse 8 up there? Yes? Okay, so I would go here, and you see where it says tools? I want some access to a tools. And this is where it looks crazy. You're like, whoa, what is going on? What is going on here? Okay, so do you guys see where it says interlinear? Now, that is a very scary word that simply describes the translation of the Bible uh, to, back to its original language, okay? You know that Jesus didn't speak English when he was here on earth, right? It's not necessarily that he didn't, wasn't able to know it, but no one spoke English, okay? Uh, and, and even before that, the Bible was not written in English. It was written in what? Hebrew. That's this crazy language you see right there. Uh, but that's what it was written in. And so if you want to dig a little deeper, then you got to go to the original. It's the original word of God that is, that is uh, powerful, that is rich, that is deep. And English sometimes just doesn't tell it all. So, uh, for example, I, since I click the tools, you go to interlinear. And this basically gives you the, the words that are in the original language of Hebrew. Do you guys see that? So it says the words of a talebearer. Oh, this is what I didn't understand. What is a talebearer? I kind of had some idea, but wasn't sure. So do you see where it, it has this little, uh, this little number? This is going to take me to the original word. Okay, you guys tracking? So look on there. So then I click this, and now it takes me to, so this is that word, talebearer. Now, I don't know about you, I can't read that. But I do know that it says talebearer because of what I just said. So I'm going to kind of scroll down. And oh, perfect. I see a outline of biblical usage. Every time this word is used, it means to murmur or to whisper. Uh, someone who is a talebearer is a backbiter. Do you guys see that? A slanderer. So we can begin to start putting some pieces together of what does it mean. So we kind of go down a little bit more and we get some other kind of, okay, back, uh, backbiter, slanderer. And then if you go all the way down, do you guys see this? So it shows each time this word is used in the Bible. And this is helpful. This is for me, when I study, this is where I get my references from. You know when we're in a passage of the Bible, but I put another verse on the Bible that has to do with it? This is how I find it. This is so often how I find it where it's connected with a word. And so there's some other Proverbs. Uh, all, so the only place that talebearer is in the Old Testament is in the book of Proverbs. And so we can read those verses and come to a conclusion that a talebearer is someone who is a gossiper, but not just a gossiper, someone who behind someone's back talks trash, okay? That is what a talebearer is, a trash talker, a gossiper, a backbiter. You guys, you guys get it? So now look back at the verse now that we understand this. So the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. So now we got one part, but what the heck is it talking about? Why is, a, why is the words of a gossiper, uh, a slander, why is that like tasty trifles? I thought it's a bad thing. Well, maybe we need a little bit more help here. Okay, so do you guys see me clicking the back button? So I'm gonna go back, and now this is where we were originally. We're still in verse eight. You guys watching? So, 
this is the interlinear. This is where you can go and look up those original words. And this is fun. You can get lost in this. You could just be hours in looking up, okay, what, what the original words are because they're so much, you can, they're so deep, okay? But let's say I wanted to have a little bit more of a quick reference. Maybe, man, there's got to be some historical meaning of these tasty trifles. Like that sounds good, but I don't think this is a good thing. So let me go to my commentaries. You guys know what commentaries are? You know those times when I'll put up on the screen a quote from someone? Oftentimes, I get those quotes from commentaries. Uh, These are people who are either living or dead that commented on verses in the Bible. And this is where it can be very helpful because sometimes they know or have access to historical realities, different things when the Bible is written that I would not be able to have access to. So one of the guys you might, you might, uh, you might kind of recognize, David Guzik. Do you guys, have you guys ever heard me quote him before? So uh, he's one of my go-tos uh, because uh, it's very simple in how he puts it. Sometimes older commentary is a little bit more complicated. So for you guys, I want you to remember this, this, this phrase, go to the goose, okay? When you don't understand a verse, dig a little bit yourself. And if you still don't understand Go to the who? Go to the goose, all right? He's still, he's still living. He's, he's not dead. Uh, he, he is a teaching pastor at a ter- church, but his study guides are very helpful. So do you see, you see where it says text commentaries? So I'm going to scroll down and go to Mr. Guzik. Boom. Okay, so he has an entire commentary on chapter 18. So now I'm going to scroll down, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, and oh, there we go, verse 8. Okay, well, let's see what this guy has to say about these tasty trifles, all right? The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. The gossip and evil reports brought by the talebearer are almost impossible to resist. They're juicy. Those who should know better find it difficult to tell the talebearer to stop talking. The importance of this proverb is, it, is expressed in its repetition, meaning it's also repeated in chapter 26. Then notice down, he, he gives some other quotes uh, talking about talebearers. And so for me, just that paragraph was like, oh, in my mind, tasty trifles are like chips. You can't just have one. They're really hard to resist. Have you ever just eaten one chip? No. If they're good, then you want to go back for another. Or like one Oreo. Have you ever eaten just one Oreo? That, that's crazy. You guys have crazy self-control. So now with that kind of thing in mind, a tasty trifle is a small addicting snack. Okay. So the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, meaning they're hard to resist. And they go down into the inmost body, meaning they affect you. That when you allow someone to slander someone else in front of you, that, that you want to keep going at times, but they go down into the inmost part of your body, meaning they affect you, okay? So now we have a lot more clarity on that verse. Does this process make sense? So I have found that before going to someone like going to the goose, I like to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me first. Because listen, if the Holy Spirit spoke to him, then why can't the Holy Spirit speak to me? He can. If the Holy Spirit spoke to me through the word of God, why can't you, if you have a Bible, go and sit down? But oftentimes, guys, we don't allow God to speak to us. We don't give him, that, we don't give him the time. We just kind of want it on the surface. Like, I just want to go in and just get what I need 
and go out. And God says, I want to take you deeper. I want to I take you into the richness of my word. I want you to experience the greatness of what I have said, okay? So that is just one example, but I think it's a hopefully a helpful example, okay? So blue letter Bible. I love your guys' Bible questions, but I would love before you ever ask me a question, before you ever ask a leader a question, that you do a little bit of digging yourself. Because listen, Wednesday after Wednesday, I could feed you guys. I know how to study the Bible, and I, would, I think I know how to present it okay. But there's going to be a time when you're no longer in junior high. And I would love not just to feed you, but teach you how to feed yourself. I would like not just to serve you or, or get you a fish, but teach you how to catch a fish, okay? You guys, you guys get the concept? So I'd encourage you guys, just take, take a look. It can feel a little overwhelming, but stay, stick with the goose and stick with that, uh, that kind of interlinear, which is, again, a big word, but it just, you're just going to the Hebrew. You're, you're, like a, you're like a scholar. But this is what it takes to dive to the next level. All right? Make sense? Yes? All right, let's dive in together uh, with some things I've studied. We can go back to the PowerPoint now. So today, I studied this chapter, and there were a couple of verses that stood out to me that I wanted to dive in and to, and to share with you. And so literally today, what I just showed you, now I use a different program, but what I just showed you is a similar process of what I did. I, I looked, I read through Proverbs 18 this morning, uh, and I kind of prayed, God, okay, what? I know we can't go through all these verses, well, which ones do you want? And there were two significant ones that stood out to me. And so what did I do? I didn't just read them, I meditated on them which means to read them and then reread them and to think about the fact that you are reading them and to read them again. And so I meditated on them. And then I started looking at those original words. And then after I got some, what I believe is some influence from the Holy Spirit, some thoughts written down, then eventually I put them together. And then I would go see, well, well what do other guys think? I want to make sure I'm safe. I don't want to teach the students something that is wrong. And so God has given us great teachers like Pastor Jack or other Bible commentators of the past that are able to keep me within those guidelines of what God's word actually says, okay? So let's look at the very first verse in Proverbs. Proverbs 18.1. This is one of two verses I wanna really dig into and highlight during our time. Verse one, Proverbs 18, verse one. And it says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. As you can see, the definition, definition of that word isolate, which is, again, not something that you aren't able to find out, but I was able to dig a little deeper for you. It means to separate. It means to disassociate from someone and to discontinue, so to stop a relationship with others, isolate or isolation. Now, this isolation could be done for a variety of reasons. Whether the pride of, well, I, I can do life on my own. I don't need anybody else. Or maybe being hurt by someone else. Or maybe it's even a personality where you're just like, well, I'm just more introvert. I just like to keep to myself. Nevertheless, what the Bible says here very clearly 
is that if you, listen, if you isolate yourself from others, then you are seeking your own desire. The idea is that you are acting in selfishness, which is interesting. To isolate yourself and say, I'm gonna cut myself off from any deep and intimate and personal relationships. I'm gonna do it on my own is actually an act of selfishness. Now, sometimes there can be the thought that life would be easier if I didn't have anyone in my life. We think that, oh man, it's the people around me that cause the, all the trouble in my life. Or maybe we would want people around us, but no one too close. Like, I'm okay if you're in my life, but I'm never going to let you see who I really am. That's isolation. In fact, I believe that you could be in a room full of people and still isolate yourself, separate yourself. You could even be in a family or group of friends and still isolate yourself by not letting anyone close to you, to, to who you really are. Nevertheless, whatever the reason may be, the Bible says that to act in isolation, to separate yourselves and and discontinue relationships is ultimately points to going after what you want, selfishness. Now, the weird thing about selfishness is that the more you pursue it, the less fulfilled you are in yourself. You guys hear me? Everyone look at me. I'm telling you, this is the truth of the Bible, and I'll give you a verse in a moment. The more you go after what you want, meaning your desire, your will. The, the Bible calls it the flesh. It's the lust. It's the longing. It's this desire. This is what I want. The more you go after it, the less fulfilled you are in yourself. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is absolutely true. If you seek to have your life all about you, you are going to lose it and you will never find what you think you're looking for. You think, we think at times that what we want is, is the best thing for us and that will fulfill us. That's why we go after it. But the farther we get down that road of self, the further we get from ourselves, the further we get from the person that God has created us to be. But listen, if we are willing to lose our life for Jesus, lose our life and give our, right? Think about it. Christianity is of us giving our life to him. Those terms are biblical. The Bible says that as a Christian, you are no longer your own. That is when you will actually be most fulfilled. You see, Satan loves to separate and divide. He loves to isolate. He knows that you are at your weakest when you are alone, but you are at your strongest when you are together. So he does what he can to make isolation seem desirable. Whether that's that, that you have that feeling of uncomfortability and so you isolate whether it's the, you have past hurt and so you isolate. You see, Satan says that if someone 
offends you, this is, what, this is the type of Satan talk. If someone offends you, cut them off. Satan says to you, if those relationships are too much trouble, just look after yourself. Satan says, don't let anyone in because you can't trust them. All people will do is hurt you. They've let you down in the past and they will let you down in the future. So separate yourself from you. That is the voice of Satan, not the voice of God. Satan desires to isolate you. He desires to separate you from, from people in your life, whether that's family, whether that's friends, whether that's the church, or whether that's the Lord. This is why Jesus says this in John 10.10. 10. He says, the thief, referring to false teachers and ultimately Satan himself, does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Listen, Satan loves to get the sheep out from the fold, out from the flock, away from the other sheep, and especially away from the shepherd. He loves to get you away from the shepherd's voice. It is the, listen, it is the enemy who takes the one away but it is the Lord who leaves the 99 to go after who? The one. You see, we see opposites there. And that is why the model that God gives the church is always restoration and redemption in relationships. Listen, the relationships that you have in your life, Satan wants you to cut people off. He wants you to feel embittered and anger and unforgiving. But God says, the Bible directs you that if you offended someone, that you are actually to go to that person and make it right. And on the flip side, if you were offended by someone, you're not supposed to just be like, well, I'm never talking to them again. I'm done. Wall built, never going to see them again. Never going to let them in. I might see them, but they will never know who I am again. Well, the Bible says that if you were offended to actually go to that person, let them know what happened, tell them how you felt, that is the opposite of isolation. God's always about restoration of relationship, and Satan says, just cut it off, you're better by yourself. See, listen, you as a Christian have not been designed to do life alone. You were not redeemed to be an individual Christian. You were baptized, the Bible says, into the body of Christ, into the body of believers. It's been said before that a lone soldier is a dead soldier. That in terms of war, a lone soldier is a dead soldier. And to isolate ourselves is foolish. If we do so, the Bible says, Back in verse one, look in your Bibles, we fight against wisdom itself. The Bible says that to do this is to rage against all wise judgment or to be open and in active resistance against wisdom itself. See, God knows that in our flesh, we will have a tendency to pull back we will have a tendency towards isolation. We might, you might be the most uh, outgoing person. And even you, you will have an, a tendency, you might be outgoing, 
but you will still have a tendency to isolation. That's why we're directed. That's why we're given a command in Hebrews 10 that says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. God felt it necessary to put the commandment to not forsake the gathering together of believers. And I'm telling everyone, look at me right now. There is going to be, if you've not experienced already, now you have, you have a great motivation called your parents. That typically, whether you want to, you wake up on a Sunday morning, you're like, I don't want to go to church. They're like, that's literally not an option. That's, that's a very, that's a godly uh, motivation in your life. But there's going to come a time when your parents do not force you to go to church. It's going to be a time when your parents can't force you to go to church. And you will experience a temptation to just say, I'm just going to begin taking a step back. I don't need to go every Sunday, every Wednesday. I'll just begin to pull back. Satan loves when believers forsake the church gathering. Because if he can just get you separated, if he just can get you away from the body, then you're not going to be built up. You're not going to be stirred up. You're not going to be encouraged. You're not going to be convicted because you see someone else's faith and you say, oh man, okay, I, I need to keep going. It is good when we get together. Satan, listen, everyone look at me here. As in this digital age that we're in, Satan prefers, if he had to choose, he prefers you to watch church from home rather than coming. Now, if you're sick and you need to stay home, we would prefer you to stay home, okay, so that you don't get everyone else sick. That's not isolating yourself. You're okay. But if you are well-abled and bodied and you are able to come to church, whether that's now or later when you have the full choice yourself, Satan would rather have you watch church from home because you're watching. You are not engaged. You are not there Anything to get you isolated, he's all about it. It was the psalmist who said, Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Listen, it is good for you. It is needed. It's needed. Now, even worse than isolating from people, there's nothing worse than isolating yourself from the Lord. And this can happen. Our tendency can even be to wander from the Lord. But God always says, he says, come. Over and over again in the scripture, he says, return. He says, seek me. He says, draw close, draw near. Why does God always say that? Because our tendency is to draw away. It's to just, ah, like God probably doesn't want to hear from me. Or I'm, I'm, I'm just going to isolate myself a little bit from God. We would never say that. But what about and our actions, which brings us uh, to our second verse of chapter 18. All right, chapter 18, verse 10. So I got to flip a page in my Bible. Verse 10. You guys good? Yes? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. 
Now, I want to talk about that for a moment, the name of the Lord. Now, I've talked to you guys about this before, but for those that maybe have not heard or a good refresher, in the Bible, someone's name was of more importance than what they would just be called. You see, names are helpful in this kind of room. Imagine if we all had the same name. Things would get extremely confusing. And so for the most part, our names don't represent who we are necessarily, but just to be able to distinguish us one from another. Imagine if you and your siblings all had the same name. It would get very chaotic and very confusing. But notice in your Bible that we have the name of the Lord, okay? It was back then, it was more of a names represented who someone was. That's why actually Jews would wait to name their babies eight days after they were born. They would kind of see the characteristics of the baby and that would determine their name or the surrounding events of the birth. It's kind of interesting. That's why God would even change people's names. You guys know that, right? Abram to Abraham. That wasn't just like, God's like, you need a longer name. No, Abraham meant something more significant. And so he renamed him or Jacob to Israel. It expressed their nature and characteristics. And so when we're talking about the name of the Lord, in your Bibles, that word Lord, look in your Bibles, should be all caps. Whenever that happens, it happens about 7,000 times in the Old Testament. That L-O-R-D is all caps. That is referring to the personal name of God. That is called, with that big word, do you guys see that big word? Tetragrammaton. That word references the idea of God's name. What we have in scripture, uh, the tetragrammaton, what that word means, it means four letters. Ancient Hebrew did not have vowels in its alphabet. So in written form in ancient Hebrew, uh, it was a consonant only language. And so the pronunciation Yahweh, everyone say Yahweh. That's where we get it from. Y-H-W-H. Our best guess, our best educated guess is that it is pronounced Yahweh. Maybe you've heard of the name Jehovah. So Jehovah is not as accurate as Yahweh because in Hebrew, there is no, uh, there is no letter J. There's no, there's no letter that makes that sound. Um, and so, for example, my name in Hebrew is not Joel, it's uh, Yoel but don't call me that, okay? Uh, but Joel, uh, now because there's no, there's no J. Now, this name though, this is the name that God gives. This is his personal name. It's not just God. God actually has a name and he's revealed it to us. Yahweh refers to God's self-existence. Yahweh is linked to how God described himself to Moses. Do you remember when Moses asked, God, I'm gonna go, but when I get there, who do I say sent me? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am who I am sent you. This is what we know as the I am. This is what you are, essentially, he said to him, I am has sent you. Now that's a weird name. But what it is, is the tetragrammaton. It is the YHWH where we get the name of God, which is Yahweh. God's name is a reflection of his being. It means the becoming one, okay? Now we see this in the New Testament. Do you remember Jesus when he said the I am statements? I am the bread of life. 
I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. What's, what's being connected here? The name of God. I like how Pastor Chuck puts it. So Chuck Smith is the founder of Calvary Chapel, who is with the Lord now. He said that it means the becoming one as God relates to man and man's need. And he becomes to man whatever he may need. And so this is, a, this is his name. And God wants us to know his name. That's why we sing hallelujah what? Yah. Yeah. It is praise Yah. Whenever you say hallelujah, you are saying praise be to Yah or Yahweh. Every time we say, sing hallelujah, God wants us to know his name and to sing his name and to worship his name. Now, in the New Testament, we get further revelation that his name is Jesus. Now, what's the connection there? It's the Hebrew name Yeshua, right? Which means Yahweh is salvation. And so we see a connection that Yahweh is salvation. Jesus is salvation himself. Now, according to Solomon, okay, this name, Yahweh, is a strong tower. Look in your Bibles, look at verse 10. The name of the Lord, the name Yahweh is a strong tower. I'm going to say strong tower, strong tower. This is a stronghold, or it means fortification and put together a tower. It, it pictures for us a castle, if you will, a castle that would have been set on a high hill. It is the name of God that provides security and protection. Now, this is not something we really have anymore, uh, like they did in the ancient days. Strong towers were great security to nations. When there were those that would invade the land, there would be these strong castles that would have been set upon various hilltops, and the inhabitants would gather up what they could and flee to these strong towers when they were being invaded. And they would, of course, shut the door behind them. Maybe you can think of some movies that you have seen, whether it's Lord of the Rings or whatever else. Castles were looked upon in ancient days for being a difficult place to attack. Now they're just like museums these days. But ancient troops would rather have fought 500 battles than endure a single siege against a strong tower. Basically, if you had a strong tower, you felt secure regardless of your adversary. And so with that in mind, the Bible says that it's the name of God, the name Yahweh, Jesus, that is a strong tower, a place of protection, a place of refuge. And, and isn't that true? It's true in an overall salvation sense meaning that there is no greater security than in the secure salvation we experience in the name of who? In the name of Jesus, right? We are in, in the name of Jesus. Yahweh is salvation. We are protected from sin, darkness, death, and the devil himself. Acts 4.12, note it down. It says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name. Everyone say name. Under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. There's no stronger name than the name 
of the Lord. That's why we call on the name of the Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is power in the name of God. But I believe in addition to just general salvation, you and I, as Christians, we can run to the name of God, which represents who he is every day for continued security and protection. Notice in your Bibles, verse 10, it is the righteous who run to the name of the Lord. And there they are, what does it say? They're safe. I want you to contrast this with the next verse. And we're not going to spend too much time, but look at the verse right after. And in your Bibles, they should be connected. They shouldn't be separated like the other Proverbs. 10 and 11 should be right next to each other because it says, in contrast, the rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own esteem. Meaning the one who is trusting not in the name of Yahweh, but in the name of himself, his own riches, what he has supplied for himself, that he thinks he's secure. That the rich man who is without God thinks, man, well, there ain't nothing that can't be paid for. But Jesus in the New Testament would call that man a fool. But he thinks he's protected. Notice, and like a high wall in his own esteem, in his own imagination, he thinks he's good to go. But we know that when he dies, what gets left behind? All of his riches. The security that he thought he had goes to another man and he stands before God alone by himself. And the only thing that will matter is one name and that is the name Jesus. Now, I love this idea. This is something very significant that we gotta understand that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Yahweh, Jesus Psalm 124 verse 8 says, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So many times in the book of Psalms, the Lord or Yahweh is referred to as our refuge, our rock, our fortress, our strength, our defender. In fact, I want you to turn to Psalms. We're, we won't return to Proverbs, so go ahead and turn to Psalms. Let's start with verse, chapter 18, verse 2. I want to just walk you through some examples of this because I think this will help you um, produce, produce an understanding of, of what we are to refer to God as and, and how we can see him. I don't think these terms are random. God doesn't just say, hey, refer to me like this because it's just nice. No, listen, the names of God are given to us because that's how we can relate to him. When God says, I am the king of kings, that's one of his, his, his titles or his names. That means God says, there ain't no one higher than me. When God says, I am the first and the last, God says, anything to do with time? He's like, I got it taken care of. When he says all those things, they indicate to us something about the nature of God. So look at first Psalm 18, verse two. You guys there? If you're there, say word. I wanna hear some pages flipping. Psalm 18, this is why we practice our Bible drill. Psalm 18, verse two. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, 
my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I trust, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Can I get an amen? That's awesome. He is that. Now I want you to turn to Psalm 31, verse 1 through 3. Psalm 31. Let me hear those pages flipping. Psalm 31, verse 1 through 3. Should be a little bit to the right. Psalm 31 says, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock, my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Are you guys seeing some repetition here? God says, I want you to look at me like your strong tower, that when you need anything, you run to me, because in me is where you find safety and security and protection. He says, I want to be your go-to. He says, I got you, because in me, I am your shield. I am your fortress. Now turn to Psalm 61, verse 1 through 3. Turn a little bit over to the right, taking you on a journey. Don't get left behind. Psalm 61, 1 through 4. Let's keep it going. Psalm 61, 1 through 4. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed. You ever feel overwhelmed? David says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me. I like that one. A strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle or your dwelling place forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. It's awesome. Now turn to Psalm 62. You should, should be pretty close to that one. Psalm 62. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. Verse two, look at, he is my, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Go down to verse five. My soul wait, wait silently for God alone for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock, my salvation. He is my defense, I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Have I made my point clear? God is our rock. Everyone say rock. God is my fortress. Everyone say fortress. God is my deliverer. Everyone say deliverer. He is our strong tower. Now, ultimately, for salvation, where do we run? We run to the cross of Christ. We run to the name of Jesus. And listen, there is no greater security than the security of our salvation in Jesus. It is settled in heaven. It's as if it is good as done. And so that's why the Bible says, if God is for us, then who can be what? Against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one and nothing. But it doesn't stop there. I believe not only our salvation is secure in Jesus, but you know we can keep going to him? We can keep running to him? How do we do that? Well, we just looked at a lot of 
prayer. And in the New Testament, Paul said this, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. God says, come to me. He says, you're struggling. You feeling overwhelmed. You need something. He says, don't go to anyone else. He says, you run to me. Why? Because the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. This one is pretty fun to dig deep in. I'd encourage you, go to Blue Letter Bible and go look at this word guard. It, it literally describes a, a squad or a garrison, a military uh, deployment. The idea is that we run to him and God says, I will now deploy myself to fully surround you. This word guard is a picture, maybe the president surrounded by secret service. It is to guard from every side to make sure it's all taken care of. God says, you come to me and I won't promise you peace on the outside. Jesus said, I actually promise you tribulation. It's gonna happen. But he says, be of good cheer. Why? Because it is the peace of God inside which surpasses understanding. God says, I got you. See, he is our strong tower. We can run to him. And I'm telling you guys, there is no safety like the safety in Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are our refuge. You are the only place we have to go. Even just like Peter said, you alone have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? There's no one else like you. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And so God, we thank you for the security in Jesus, that you are a strong tower when it comes to salvation. Lord, but we love that we can just run to you every day we can bring our prayer requests. We can bring our supplication. Lord, we can come and you promise us the shalom of God. The peace, the perfect peace that goes beyond understanding. It's better than answers. We don't need to know because we've experienced the presence of God in our lives. And Lord, we just are so grateful that we have somewhere to go that we have somewhere to run to. And before we even run to mom, before we run to dad or friends or anything in this world, God, would you teach us today to run to you, to come to you with our troubles because you are a deliverer, to come to you with our anxieties because you are our counselor. God, that's something that only you can teach us. And so, God, I pray for every student today, Lord, that they want to isolate themselves. That you would draw them out. That you would draw them to yourself. Lord, I, I, I believe that there's some in this room today that have been resistant against you. They have been isolate, separating themselves from you. God, I pray that you would knock down those walls and get them tonight. Lord, that your spirit would draw them to where they could not resist your goodness. And they would just, they would run to you. You would be their strong tower. You'd be their refuge. God, I think about that picture of 
the father running to the prodigal son, embracing him. Lord, he was waiting. And Lord, tonight, if there's anyone that you are waiting on, God, would you just go and get him? And Lord, tonight, would you just be glorified in our worship? Would we run to you in the way of singing? As we sing hallelujah, as we praise the name of the Lord our God, Lord, would, would we realize what we have in Jesus tonight? And so we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.